Hey, Sean Gaby here. Welcome to the Supernatural Leadership Podcast. Wherever you are listening from, we are glad that you have joined us. Please follow us on Instagram at Sean Gaby and at Supernatural Leadership Podcast and or visit kingdomculture.ca or seangaby.com for more engaging content around topics we will be discussing. As well, you would love it if you would leave a review on this podcast as it helps boost our ability to get this content out to more people. If you are new with us today, just want to inform you that we will be releasing a new episode on the first Wednesday of every month and every so often a bonus episode. So make sure to hit the subscribe button so you can keep up to date with every episode. There are so many great leadership podcasts out there and truthfully, I love so many of them. So why supernatural leadership? Really, it's the difference between presence and principle as we discuss in episode one. The very first episode of this podcast really sets the tone for the why and purpose for this podcast. I would encourage you to have a listen if you haven't already. Simply put, we believe everyone has a leader within them at some capacity. Whether you're a CEO, non-for-profit director, media mogul, church leader, pastor, small business owner, manager of teams, a dad, a mom, and well, the list could go on. If everyone has a leader within them, why not make that leader a little more supernatural? That's the heart and goal behind this podcast, helping you connect your natural with God's super, making your leadership a little more supernatural. At the end of every episode, there will be practical activations and exercises to help us grow and mature in the various areas discussed. Thank you for listening to the Supernatural Leadership Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome again to another Supernatural Leadership Podcast episode. My name is Sean Gaby. Thank you so much for stopping by. As you've known, if you've been following our podcast for some time now, we've released a new podcast episode on the first Wednesday of every month. But in this next season, I got some exciting news. We're going to be putting out more content. I'm not going to give sort of a promise on how many each month, but it's going to be a surprise. There's going to be some bonus episodes, some extra episodes. So keep watching uh, this podcast platform for updates, for new episodes. You're not going to want to miss it. We're going to be featuring in this next season, marketplace leaders and how they are influencing their sphere with supernatural leadership. So I'm super excited. We're going to kick this off with a friend of mine, somebody who's inspired me over the years. I've known him for, I think, probably nine years now. He is a father of six, which is mind-blowing. I'm a father of four, and that's crazy enough. Can't imagine a father of six. Father of six, married to an amazing woman named Christine, and they're based out of Washington, D.C., and his name is Alvin Chun. Alvin Chun, welcome to our podcast. Well, it's good to be here. Um, now that I'm on it, I now I realize, okay, it's a, it's a legitimate podcast. <laughs> four people listening to it. Hopefully it's legitimate. <laughs> no, we have an awesome uh, Supernatural Leadership Podcast family. And man, just to intro you, you know, I could ask you to, to go through it, but I want to read his bio for everyone listening. For those of you that do not know who Alvin Chun is, I want to bring some definition to who this amazing leader is. Uh, he's a multifaceted leader. I'm going to read his bio. Okay, so track with me. It's a longer bio, but I really feel like it brings definition to who he is. He's a multifaceted leader who has exhibited leadership in business, finance, 
nonprofit work, and church ministry. His life of executive leadership has served him for 25 years as he has maintained the balance of involvement in a plethora of contexts, many of which were to aid and empower under-resourced projects and people. He has always used his gift of wisdom and insight to support the dreams of others. In the realms of business, early in his career, Mr. Chun worked in finance and investments for Donaldson, Lufkin, and Genret Inc., Cambridge Associates, LLC, and as an analyst for Capital Management Strategies Incorporated, which partnered with David Fox Fame, which is an acronym F-A-M-E, to help manage sound investments for many professional athletes. His entrepreneurial spirit led him to create a software consulting firm called Counterpoint Solutions Incorporated in 2005, which resulted in him becoming the chairman of the C-Point Group, which is made up of three information technology subsidiaries in the Washington, D.C. metro area. In the last five years, Alvin has become a partner with a variety of entrepreneurial startups due to one of his unique qualities of only building things through relationships. One of these startups is All Wise Metery with the brainchild of actor Dylan Sprouse and introduced who, who, who was introduced to Alvin through his nephew. Now, for those of you who don't know who Dylan Sprouse is, he is uh, he's a Disney actor. His brother, his twin brother, is actually one of the stars on Riverdale. The meteries distribution, and Alvin will kind of talk later on about what this meter is. For those of you who don't know what meat is, the meadery distribution is mainly centered in New York, but has extended their brand with outlets in the southern United States and Europe. Again, due to, fr due to friendship, he is currently an active partner with Go Oats Frozen Oatmeal, which was featured on Shark Tank in October 2020 and is rapidly expanding nationwide. These relationships have no limitations and have even expanded his experience to being an executive producer of an independent film, which will be featured in the Cannes Film Festival 2021 and will be released worldwide in 2022. Mr. Chun has never neglected an opportunity to assist both local, national, and global communities as they expand their reach to encourage and develop people, particularly children and youth. He has served as board of advisors for a variety of nonprofit organizations and NGOs and served children at risk throughout the world in war-torn countries. Alvin recently joined the board of directors or board of advisors for XV Venture Capital, a social impact fund designed to aid entrepreneurs that are considered overlooked and marginalized. I love that. His local community involvement continues his work as he serves on the board of trustees at Trinity Christian School in Fairfax, um, where his children attend. Additionally, Mr. Chun is an ordained minister who has been a pastor for 20 years. I know that your mind is all blown now after you heard everything else, and is still currently the senior leader of a church he founded in 2001. He also serves on three additional ministry ministerial boards of pastors and church leaders. Alvin was born and raised in northern New Jersey and received a Bachelor of Arts from Brandeis, I think that's how you say it, University, and a Master's of, or Brandeis University, and a Master's of Divinity from Chesapeake Theological Seminary. He has been happily married for 25 years to his wife, Christine, and they have six children, five boys and one daughter. He's a family man to his core. This is the best sentence of the whole bio. Despite his active involvement in leading others, he has always led his family first. Man, that was like a mouthful, but amazing. That bio brings so much definition to who you are. And the little time that I know, even though it's, I think it's been like nine years, 
you know, some of the stuff I didn't even know about you, but a lot of it I knew just through conversation. And I love it because at the very end of your bio, like that really screams the loudest to me that you've been able not just to be a good leader, not just to be able to be a good supernatural leader, but you've been an amazing family leader, you know, over your six kids, your amazing wife, Christine. Uh, we just absolutely love you guys. And, uh, you know, today we're talking about supernatural leadership. And one of the things I love about you, just beyond what I just said, is that you're also a pastor, like you're a pastor that has able to ha, has been able to you know serve the house of god as like a priest so to speak but also be a king in the marketplace you know the bible talks about in revelation that we're all kings and priests and you've been able to minister to like god's people love on god's people build the house of god and at the same time really drive forward like the mission of god and the kingdom in the marketplace and then leverage that to be the generous person that you are and that's inspiring, man. I, I really love that. And I'd love for you to just let's open up this whole conversation with just bring us into your journey. Like if someone were to ask you, you know, 35 years ago, what it is that you would be doing with your life? Did you think it was going to be like this? How did you get to where you are? Were you surprised along the way? Has have things gone the way that you always thought they would go? Or like, how did you get to where you are right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um... I, I couldn't have imagined any of this. Uh, I think when I started, uh, I was content in just being in full-time ministry and uh, being not even being a senior pastor at church. I, I didn't want to plant a church. Uh, I just wanted to be the number two, number three guy at a big church and lead worship and go on missions trips and you know uh, serve serve a leader um, that I would respect and love and then also you know selfishly not deal with any of the um the stuff that comes with leadership you know all the hard stuff that you know the buck stops with you you know when you're the last guy the senior guy so seeing that i don't want that i don't want gray hair you know i don't want any stress um and so that was my plan um you and, still have no gray hair by the way well you succeeded yeah. compared to me you still have no gray hair right well you, you know your hair well, no, I don't, but Asians, you know, so you, you look young, 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 and then all of a sudden you look dirt old. It's it happens to everybody. So I'm just not there yet. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, I just didn't think it was going to be that way. I was really just content in, um, in leading worship and, and, uh, and I wasn't even that great. I'm not, I'm not even a great musician. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we planted this church in 2001. I was at a pretty big church um, in Maryland, uh, just outside of DC. I thought I'd be there 25 years. Uh, and just through a variety of circumstances, we decided to plant the church. And so uh, that's how it started. And uh, the business side that wasn't anything, even my bio, you know, was in finance. I just did that to uh, pay for seminary because I didn't want to take any more, any loans. Um, I knew so many guys that went to seminary that were strapped with fifty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 loans for seminary. And, you know, if you're a pastor, you're not getting paid that much, you know, maybe $24,000 a year. And, you know, you're a youth pastor, children's pastor. So, you know, you'll be 45, 50 before you pay that off. So I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to learn about what it meant to be in the real world. So that one day I was preaching, um, I wouldn't be preaching from anyone's books. I would, I would have experience. So I figured three years would be enough and make enough money to pay for seminary. 
Um, and that was my plan. So that's why I started working before going to school um, is purely just to stay out of debt and to get experience. And I thought, oh, well, you know, when you're young and 22, you think, well, I'll go out there, I'll go in the marketplace and I will, you know, kill it for the kingdom. I will lead people to Jesus up. You know, I thought I'd have all the answers so that when I preach later, I'll say, guys, this is how you do it. And, you know, you realize when you're 22, you don't know anything. Um, I'm almost 50 and I still, a lot of things, I still don't know anything. Um, but that, that was my approach. Um, and that, that's how, that's how it started with the church. Um, and then after starting the church, you know, again, you just have dreams of brand or you think that people will come and, you know, I mean, I'm okay preacher, you know, I'm not bad, but you know, many people fall asleep while I preach. So, you know, it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not, I try to stay relevant and not boring. Um, but you just think you're going to grow. And, and we, we, you know, we were seven to 20 people for the first seven years of our existence. And, you know, this year will be 20 years since we planted the church, but the first seven were brutal. Uh, nobody, nobody was coming. Nobody did come. People would visit and not come back. And so I tried so many different things. I tried connecting with spiritual leaders that I thought were pretty big. You know, they had books and they were famous and, you know, invite them to come to our church and think that that would be a spark. Um, but that never works. Uh, it doesn't work. You know, they just come, people come to see them. And then when they're gone, they, they don't come back. And so, you know, you just, you, you try different things. And then during that time, you know, we really felt like the Lord was saying to go into business. Um, and that really resonated with me because my father was a businessman. And, you know, I think that, uh, that was something that I was always interested in, but growing up in the seventies and eighties, you don't, you don't think you can do both. You're not supposed to, it's almost unholy, right? You can't be a pastor and make too much money, you know, and which is probably why my parents didn't want me to be a pastor because, you know, you got to, um, you can't dress nice. You have to, you know, get church people to paint your house and get their leftover cars and their leftover furniture. And, uh, you know, you, you, you can't live any, and a life of luxury, you have to depend on the church to pay for your kids and livelihood and education. And so uh, my parents didn't want that. And, and that's kind of the churches that we knew. And again, 70s and 80s, I'm Korean, you know, Korean church. That's kind of what it was. And so um, they didn't want that. But when I got this call to start a business or go into business or go into the marketplace, I didn't know what that meant. And and so in 2003, so two years after, after all these different, you know, prophetic words that came out all the same for about a couple of years, about 20 of them from the, you know, the who's who at that time in the prophetic movement, all the people that were with Peter Wagner. And, um, you know, again, I was still young, just got married uh, five years before and, um, and um, six years before. And um, we tried different things. So I tried opening up a, a vitamin shop and I tried opening up a math and reading center for kids. I, I had friends in Italy uh, that I was making men's suits and ties and shirts and uh, women's clothes from Spain. And I was trying to get them into the U S because uh, our cousin was a buyer at Macy's and uh, went through the process, got the samples, did everything. And I couldn't get it past uh, the shipping, the freight forwarding. I was like, what is freight forwarding? I had no idea what that was. And, you know, you can't fly it over because you lose your cost. So 
that stopped. And I, I tried different businesses for about three years and nothing worked. Um, but because of the promises, because of the, these prophetic words, you know, you just keep going um, and believing. And, you know, we were in probably $100,000 of debt, you know, at that time. And um, we were on, in the U.S., it's called WIC, Women, Infant, Children. It's a USDA, um, USDA is an is a agency in the U.S. It, it's, a, it's a program. Basically, you're so poor. You have so many amount of kids and your, um, your income's so low. You, you basically get like, kind of like food stamps. Uh, so you get these right. things to go in once a month and then you go to the grocery store and look for these special little marks on cereal and milk and all, and you, and you bring it to the cash register. So you give them these coupons and you take that for free. You know, oh. we were on that for like three years, you know, just, you know, when you're in ministry and you have a lot of kids at that time, we had three, four, uh, you're, you know, you don't have any money. So you have to get free food from the government. And so, you know, it wasn't looking that great. Um, so but, this was all happening while you were attempting to launch businesses for three years that were failing. Right. You were on food stamps. Right. Yeah, basically. Right. Um, and so, you know, just trying it. And, um, and we, we learned about it through other pastors because they're like, hey, we, you can get free stuff. And so, you know, you, you try different things, but all you have is the word of God. Uh, what you believe is, and so, and this is really what we're talking about. I mean, it, it this is what separates principle-led leaders from presence-led leaders. Like, it's good to have good leadership principles in action in our life, and we all do, whether we know it or not. If we're good leaders with any sort of influence, we're obviously functioning in some sort of principle-led leadership. Um, but there's a difference between often a, in a huge chasm between principle and presence, and I love that because what was driving you. Let's just for semantic purposes, call it the presence of God. It wasn't, you know, just that logically you decided to get up one day and try all these things. You really felt that the presence of God was driving you to get into the business world, to get into the marketplace at the same time while you were in vocational ministry and struggling to get the thing off the ground. And I love this because here you are, like you're trying to juggle both worlds one is not really succeeding, although it's it's obviously still there and present, while the other is just not getting up at all. Like you're just you're starting it, but it's not moving. So what was like the turning point? Like just bring us into a quickly like what changed? So three years goes by, nothing's popping. And then, boom, are we now in 2005 when you launch this software company? Like, where are we in the timeline? Yeah, that's exactly right. I just um, we're in D.C., so there are a lot of government contractors. Uh some of the employees, uh, some of the people at the church uh, were, were in this, this industry. Um, and basically I said, I think I can get, if I can get work for us, can you guys, can we partner together? You do the work, I get the work, I'll put up cash, you know, borrow money, put up cash and, you know, pay for everything and let's get it off the ground because I think we can get a contract. Uh, and again, it's through church connection. And so that's how it started. We, we started uh, two partners, including myself, the three of us, uh, you know, tried it out. I asked them to take a step of faith, leave their pretty stable jobs to start a company together. And back then, you know, early 2000s, companies like ours were getting bought up, you know, like crazy. And it was a different economy. And so that was a dream. Let's start this in five years, we'll get bought up and walk away. Uh, but, you know, a lot of things changed in 08, 09. But in 05, that's how we started. And again, we were small, like five people. And, you know, uh, 
you're, I don't know, still under a million dollars. And, you know, a million dollars sounds like a lot, but not when you're paying, you know, $900,000 in expenses, right. you know, then that's to pay insurance and tax and right. rent and everything and overhead and there's nothing left. And so, um, so would that, you say, would you say that like, cause you mentioned this, like you mentioned that like you go from like food stamps, no money to now starting a business, you're funding it. So obviously something changed in your financial right. ability. And then, and then obviously like, would you say this, that you were able to be confident in your ability to get the contract and leverage what you've learned, what you had learned as a leader within the church, all the leadership lessons you've learned the relational equity you built over the, the years. Like, how did you get to a place where you're like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to find the contracts. I'm going to find, I'm going to like bridge the network together and then bring you all guys, all of you guys together to do the work. Like, how did you get to that space? I mean, you make it sound so great. And quite honestly, you know, you, you learn what you're good at. And I think, you know, I, I didn't, I don't know anything about computers in a sense. I can't program anything. I, I wasn't working in the government. Uh, but the only thing I can bring to the table is that I had some friends or I had some people that would be willing to help us out because of, you know, some sort of relational equity I had with them. Um, but, but I needed guys to do the work, even though I can get the work, someone still has to do it. And so my lane was, if I can help, if I can get something in and you could do the work, then I can find some, I can get money. You know, and by that time too, we didn't have, a, we didn't have anything. I, I had to borrow from family. Uh, just to get it off the ground to see uh, if I can make this work. And, you know, you, you, you hedge, you, you're leveraging it only for a little bit because you're going to eventually get paid from your contract, but you got to, you got to put up the money up front three months later, then you'll be made whole. And so, you know, that that's, that's something started. It, it's not just faith. Like you have to have something, you know, material, something real um, for people to say, okay, I'll let you borrow this money. Cause in three months, I know you're right. going to pay it back. And so, you know, again, it just, I don't know. I, I don't, I, maybe looking back now, I can say, yeah, okay, I, I was a leader. What, what, what does that mean? I was able to convince people to do things that they wouldn't normally want to do. It, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I can manipulate people into thinking one thing or I can get people, I don't know. I mean, you, you can take it from different points. I'm just being real. I'm just being yeah. honest. You could, you, could, you could take it from that way. I, I wouldn't. Again, like you make it sound great, like oh, I was such a great leader. So I learned. I mean, I was just being myself and realizing, well, this is what I can do. Um, and if that's enough, you know, that's why we need each other. We need people because you can't do it on your own. You can't do anything on your own. I mean, we need the Holy Spirit. We need God to help us. But we have a certain responsibility, and we have a certain lane. I always, I like using this a lot. Just stay in your lane. What is the lane that God has given you and stay in it? When you try to venture out into that, and that's in the church, that's anywhere. You know, that's where you usually make your mistakes. People try to do things that I, you want yeah. to do, it, but you just, you're just not good at it. You know, God, you just don't have the natural gifting. Can you learn to do things? Absolutely. But there are certain things that are just natural that you don't have to try to do because it's the gift that God has given you. Well, in the time that I've known you, like, I feel like, I mean, whether you would, you know, attribute your success as a leader to a specific, you know, lesson you learned at some point in your life or whatever. One of the things I do know about you is that you really, you demonstrate what it means to be a leader of family. And that's not just in your natural family, but like, you know, you've, you've led a spiritual family 
for 20 years, your bio says 20 years, you've, you've been connected to leading spiritual family. And I think that's just a natural extension of who you are as a leader. And I think, I don't know, this is just my opinion, but I think people out there are, would, would quickly trust a family man before they trusted just someone that was out to build their empire. And you could feel it. I mean, you can feel the difference, right? When someone's whole motivation is simply like building their own empire, building their thing, come along my journey with me versus like, you're just, you love people, man. Like you're a family, you're, you're a family person. And I think you said in your bio, like you've built everything through relational equity. And that just speaks to me, to who you are as a supernatural leader that you really get it because the kingdom, which is what we're talking about really in the end is all about family. It's based upon a dynamics and values of family. So let me just pivot for a second. Like, let me ask you a question. Would you say, like, I want you to identify what, what is the one characteristic that you would say that really drove you forward to push through after three failed, four failed attempts in business for those three years, now you have this fourth opportunity or whatever, whatever number we're at now with this software company, like what gave you the push? Cause some people would be like giving up, you know what? Forget the word. I don't want to do this. Like it must not be God. I'm going to go back to vocational ministry only like what? Cause I, I don't like the word hustle. It makes me cringe. I know we use it to like talk about like, we got to hustle and work, but like, what would you define that was in you as a characteristic that people would say like, Christine would say, your kids would say about you, your leaders around you would say about you that like allowed you to push to the next level and not quit, not give up. I think I, I learned early on. Uh, I just didn't want to, you know, some people say I'm not a quitter or some people, you know, for me, I just wanted in the end, maybe it's partly from what touched me the most, you know, the, the, the fear of the Lord and, and just, being, I just want to be faithful. I just want to be faithful in what I'm supposed to do. Um, you know, in the end, I want to stand before God and say, I, I did what, you know, I was called to do um, and be faith. I was faithful in it. And so that, you know, regard, like the church was, I told you, 20, less than 20 people for seven years. It, it just got to the point where I tried to quit a couple of times, even, even with the business, like it wasn't working and I wasn't losing a lot of money. Thank God. Uh, in trying those businesses, but you know, in the end, I just, you know, life is short, and and I wanted to be faithful. And when no one was coming to church, and in the summertime when people are on vacation, and when you only have twenty people and people are going vacation, two families on vacation, that's half the church. And you know, it, it's it was tough. Those are the dog days, seven years of rough, just leaving the church or even the business. You know, you you have to come to a point where at least I came to a point where I said, God, even if it's just me and Christine showing up like we're not i'm not gonna give up wow. I'm, not, I'm gonna just if no one else comes to church as long as you show up then i'm gonna show up and if it's just me and christine worshiping and it's just you then i, I won't quit because i tried to and he wasn't he wouldn't let me um i didn't you know just couldn't and so i think that's the one thing i just i wanted to be faithful uh and not 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 it wasn't so much, I don't want to give up. It was just, I want, I want to be faithful. You know, sometimes you do things, even the church, I, I did things in the beginning based on what I knew not to do. I didn't really know what I was doing. 
but I knew what not to do. And kind of when you're when you're young, that that's how you work. And but when it came to this, it wasn't I just didn't want to fail or I don't want to be a failure or I'm not a quitter. That that really never drove me. It was the opposite. It was more I just want to be faithful. And so, you know, and I and it wasn't like, oh, I'm a go-getter, I'm gonna go for it. I just I knew I was supposed to do it, even though, because you read the Bible, you see other people's stories. It never works out the way you think it's supposed to. It never happens on, on the time, you know, in your timing. And I tell people that all the time, everything is, a, it's, it's all about timing. Um, you know, Jesus demonstrated that in so many ways. And so the, the moment we can give up our timing, I think the quicker you get to your place. Um, oh, so good. You know, and so that, that that really was it for me. And I think about it now, I just, even now, today, without all the seemingly successes I have, I can look around and say, you know, I can give this up. You know, I didn't do anything to make it happen. I just want to be faithful uh, in what I'm supposed to do. And if I'm supposed to do more, then I'll, I'll do more. If, you know, if this is it, you know, I'm not going to take it for granted or sit back and be like, okay, now I can just relax. Um but you so, know, so two I, things that stand out to me then for those that are listening that I just I'm pulling from what you're saying is perseverance motivated by hope that God's got something for you because he's promised you something and stewardship like part of being faithful really is like defined by stewarding what it is that we have in front of us stewarding the opportunity stewarding the moment um, not quitting because I mean you can't steward something and give up on it it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Those two clash, those two concepts right. clash, right? So being faithful really with what you have, unless God moves you on, it's stewarding it. But even if God moves you on, even in the moving on, you're stewarding what God has given you because you're not just dropping it. I mean, usually you're passing it on, you're doing something with it. Um, but I think that those two things stand out to me, perseverance motivated by a hope that God has something for you and has something that he's promised you that will come to pass this whole business side of your life and leadership, and then uh, stewarding through being faithful uh, with the opportunity in front of you. Now, just to dive in and shift gears a little bit, bring us into the story now, like in your bio, there's a few things that really stand out to me. The, the Go Oats, you know, business that you, you guys launched that you're an active partner in that was featured on Shark Tank just last October in 2020. Um, there's that, which is now featured in 10 Costco's, or you're trying it out right now in 10 Costco's in the U.S. It's not in Canada yet. It's only in the U.S., but it's in like a whole bunch of um, uh, other stores, right? Grocery stores? Go Oats? Yeah. 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 Which store? Yeah. What is it? Where is it again? Uh, we, we started out in Whole Foods. Whole Foods, so that's right, yeah. 60 Whole Foods, that's how we started out. And then now we're in, we, then we went up to 80 different stores, just small grocery chains. Again, I'm learning as we go. There's, there's, right. not, there's a bunch uh, go oats really yeah. it's a it's an instant oatmeal ball that you just put in the microwave and boom you have frozen, like a yeah, frozen oatmeal ball you put it in a toaster oven air fryer which probably tastes better you can still do it microwave but you know and it's bite sized um you know and, and it's it's i think it's like five bucks and it's better than instant oatmeal is what you're saying oh yeah i mean yeah. steel cut oats fresh fruit fruit i mean when you're in whole foods you can't go cheap and you know you can't even get into whole foods unless you have a certain requirement of a kind of ingredients and the way you do things and so uh you know that that's that was the blessing is that being in whole foods first you know then open the door for everybody because you you everyone knows you can't get into whole foods 
Okay, so I'm assuming, so I'm assuming that like this project, sort of like everything else, like you talk about the mead. I want you to talk about the mead. Like, what is mead? You know, how did that start? You know, with the you know the Disney actor there, um, the Go Oats thing, and then how all that spawned into now you're an, an advisor on the board of advisors of XV Venture Capital, which is a social impact fund to aid entrepreneurs that are considered overlooked and marginalized. Which I love that concept. Like, now just bring us into a little bit of the storyline of how you got into these things from the software company. So here you are managing this, you're running a church, family, you're a family man of six, your kids all are growing up. They're all active and all these different, I watch your, your feeds, man. Like your kids are golfing. They're doing all these things. Like how are you now extending and managing and balancing and starting in these new projects? Like bring us into the journey. Yeah. I'll try to be quick. Um, you know, again, everything, uh, the, the meadery, mead is honey wine. It's fermented honey and it's uh, alcoholic beverage. It's it's a wine. It's I think it's the old, oldest alcoholic beverage in the world. You know, the Egyptians from, you know, Civil War, because it's easier to ferment honey. It's shorter time than grapes, right? Or, or beer. Um, and so something that Dylan Sprouse started. And I met Dylan through my nephew. They both went to NYU together. This is after Dylan and Cole did their Sweet Life with Zach and Cody run on the Disney Channel when they were kids. Um, And uh, they started this business and I was just really, my sister asked me to help my nephew out so that, you know, these young guys that were starting out since I was in business, just to help them and advise them. I wasn't planning to put any money in there or invest or be a part of it. Um, and so that, that, that was the startup and I thought, oh, as a pastor, can I do this? But, you know, I, I was meeting people, being involved with people that would never come to, through the doors of my church. And I felt like that was a big shift for me because I wanted to reach the world. I didn't want to just reach people that were coming to the church. And so I got involved, I got invited and then involved in it. And still we're, you know, not really making any money yet. And, and that's how small business is. You you go for it and it might not work. And even though him and his brother and his girlfriend have like 90 million social media followers, I don't know, on Instagram, Twitter, whatever, uh, it, it doesn't matter. Like you still ought to go through the ups and downs and trying to figure it out. Uh, so Mead, you know, now we're in Hungary and different couple um, uh, places in Europe. We're in the Southern States because once New York shut down, we, you know, we can be in Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, all the places that were still open right, in the right, U.S. Right. And everyone's still drinking alcohol, but it's new and it and it it's different. It's it like with anything new, you have to try it first. So once you try it, people like it. But to get people to try something new is very very difficult. But you know, you try it out and you see. And so that's still going on. The oatmeal, frozen oatmeal bites. Uh, again, it was someone from my church who's a chef. He, um, he's the guy who basically ran all the slides for our worship team. Um, he started this thing. He was in Whole Foods by himself, uh, had, was in 13 Whole Foods, and it was going to 60. But wow. from 13 to 60, you need help. And so I was just kind of his mentor. He just asked for advice. And then when he got this deal, you know, he's looking for a partner. And I'm like, I, are you kidding me? I would never do food. You know, that, that's like, that, that's so risky. Um, and you know, the, the IT company had grown to a place where, you know, I was comfortable where we were, you know, doing well enough, you know, I had 35 employees, um, you know, and we were, it, it was very, very steady and, uh, we had it for at that point, um, you know, almost 50, no, 
2005, almost, you know, 12 years. And so, you know, I, I just, I wasn't trying to do anything new. Um, but the Lord really said, you know, just get involved with this. And so we started doing it. And the first year, you know, just again, weren't making any money and barely surviving, not even breaking even. And then Shark Tank called. And, uh, you know, which was great because usually you have to apply, but they called us. And this is during the pandemic, you know, and so we're all stuck at home. No one's really shopping. If they are, they're not going down the frozen food section. And, you know, we were barely surviving. And they called, uh, went through the interview process, uh, got on this filming. And they still said, even if you film, no guarantee you're going to get on TV. Even if you make a deal, there's no guarantee you'll make it on TV. Uh, you'll you'll right. get on TV. And so went through it, made a deal. We knew it, couldn't tell anybody. And then they told us we're on the, we thought we were going to be on the premiere, but we were on the, the second uh, the second episode in October. And so- I've seen the episode. It's awesome. Super cool. And a very short, thank yeah. God. And, and I wasn't on it. Um, I didn't want to be, be on it, to be honest with you. I didn't want to be on TV. I don't want people to know um, me. And, um, and I didn't have to be. And so we made a deal. It was great open up a lot of doors. We're, we're doing fantastic now, but now we're trying to steward success, you know, and it's, it takes the same amount of faith, uh, success or failure, difficulty or growth. You have to still have the same kind of faith, the same, the same approach in stewarding, um, either having nothing or having wealth. Um, you know, that I feel like when I was poor and didn't have anything, we still tried to be generous we're still tithing. We're still giving offering. We tried to be as generous as we could. Um, and to have that same approach so that later on, even if we had a lot, you know, cause that's just a very biblical concept. If you're, if you're faithful with little, you can be, you know, trusted with much. I, I fully believe that. I think that, I think some people don't find a breakthrough because they don't tithe, you know, cause they can't give 10%. And I'm like, man, if God gives, lets you keep 90%, you can't get a deal like that anywhere. Um, but (laughs) it's just deal like that, (laughs) you know, it's just so hard, you know, for some people and I get it because when you're struggling and living, I live, I live check to check, I get it. But you know, there's something about generosity that releases that there's something about faith. Like you said, faithfully stewarding the little that's in your hand so that you can prove to God that you can handle more. And that that's been my life for, for years to get to the point where I am right now. And so the oatmeal thing has been great. You know, we're growing. We're going to go from $57,000 a year to $3 million. And that sounds great. Wow, but, that's amazing. But you have, to, you have to put up a lot and do a lot just to get there. And we're not there yet. That's, the, that's where we're the trajectory. But still, you know, talk to me in six months. You know, hopefully we're there. Um, and so, you know, all of those things just opened up because of relationships and things that I didn't seek out or want to do. Um, but still tried to hear the voice of God and, and see, you know, can I practically do this? So if just to stop there for a second, if you were to tell like 25 year old Alvin (laughs) something that you've learned through your successes and learned through your failures, because we do learn through our successes and we learn through our failures. And you said it, I think if we were to title this podcast, it'd be called the power of stewardship. Because I think everything congruent through this whole conversation has been the value of stewarding and through being faithful with what you've been given. And so if you were to tell your 25-year-old self, 25 25-year-old self, Alvin, something 
that you've learned today through your successes and failures, what would it be? I think it would be the same. Stay faithful, stick it out. Don't, you know, um, don't let um, circumstances or what seemingly is not going right um, throw you off. Um, and again, you could say, or, you know, don't quit, don't give up. But, you know, that's hard when you say, don't, don't be a quitter, don't give up. You know, it's a little bit more negative as opposed to, you know, stay the course, you know, stay faithful, uh, keep stewarding, stay generous, you know, you know, I think that's a, that's what I would continue. I would tell him, I think that's what probably, probably, probably 25 year old Alan wouldn't know that to be honest with you, it's just something you, you learn. And look, we're all given opportunities to learn different things and you're, you're, taught something now whether you actually start applying that right away is a big difference sometimes you have to learn two three times uh even in ministry i, I you know the, the mike bickles of the world and the different people they all you know bill john everyone would say look it took 15 20 years for me to get to where i am and so when we started the ministry i was like well look i'm only seven years in i got another i'm only halfway you know if i can get it early to get to where these guys are at and so that was the other thing. Like, I know things take time. And, uh, you know, all these leaders, like, it took me 15, 20 years to get here. Hopefully, what we're doing, it'll only take you 10. But nobody said, you know, it's going to take you one or two. You know, it, you got to put in the time um, and, and stay faithful even during that time. And, and I think that's why a lot of people give up. It's, it's hard, you know, and, and I, I, I don't blame people, but that's why people don't make it sometimes because they give up. And I've seen a lot of people give up right before, you know, right before the breakthrough, you know, and they, they just hung out one more day or one more year, or just a little bit longer, wow. they would have gotten it. And, um, and, you know, you jump the gun, you know, either in quitting or you jump the gun and doing something that, you know, that's what you're supposed to do, but it's not the right time right. and push it. Um, and it fails because you, you try to, speed up you know god's yeah. time yeah I, I really believe and i've said it in the past i really believe that some of our greatest breakthrough moments are just around the corner of our greatest disappointments in life no question and that's the whole thing about you know just not giving in not giving up not quitting and yeah that just really inspires me man it really encourages me because people don't realize this too i mean like i i, I mean i have four kids and I understand the responsibility and the gravity. And every day I wrestle with it. Like, am I doing enough for my kids? Am I doing enough for my family? Am I doing enough trying to balance this, 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 and that? And people don't understand there's a whole other level of pressure that you have to persevere through. Yeah. And the wrestle the guilt and sometimes the shame of, yeah. of as a father and leader, like you're wrestling a whole other side of like internal leadership stuff that, People don't realize we talk about all the business stuff, the success, like you're on the mountain, look at my trophies that I've won in business. But in the end, it's like you're raising up these other trophies called kids that are your prized possession. And it takes a lot of perseverance and stewardship. Like you're stewarding these kids' lives. They're every day. So like it inspires me to hear everything you said just now about all the businesses and the successes, the failures, the things you've learned. But then the fact that you're raising up these like incredible kids is even more inspiring. But just before we go there and kind of end on that topic, I want to do one more thing. I want to just, so you, you, you go through all this stuff, you, you start go, well, it's, you know, you're now, you know, an executive producer on this new movie who 
we have mutual friends in and, you know, uh, Eric Gregson, who's uh, the main sort of director, uh, producer of the whole thing. And then Tommy Green is a good friend of us as well, uh, who's starring in it. Um, that movie's coming out, you said, in 2021 and then worldwide in 2022. Super excited about that. It's called Dark Arrows, right? Yeah, Dark, Dark Arrows. Arrows. And Dark Arrow, yeah. Yeah, it says there's a great, they have a deal on the table and I just got involved because, you know, one of the studios wanted to give the money, but they want to take 80% of the film or something, but something right. stupid. Right. And so I'm like, ah, movies, like that's, that's worse than food. Uh, <laughs> so you're doing everything that you don't want to do, but God's going to, I think God's going to, God's breathing on it. So, Hey, I hope so. I mean, and again, that's the thing, like, you know, what, what you think and what you learn experience is great, but at the same time, you still have to hear his voice. Right. And, um, you know, even with the church and like you said, with family, like, again, you know, 20 years since we planted the church, so many people have come and gone. Um, and, uh, and I get it for different reasons. You know, it, it's tough. You know, when you lead a church, it's better. I mean, I'd rather have a big church with a big goal and, you know, just tasks and, um, and just assign people to do things. And, and once we reach our goal, then we're good. And, there's, there's no relational part, you know, because that's always hard. I don't have to like people. They don't have to like me. They don't have to like each other. Let's just do this goal. But, you know, <laughs> but that's not how church is. You, you're yeah. building family and, and it's relational and it hurts. And, you know, you watch people, you know, make not make mistakes, but, but you know, operate in immaturity like your kids. And so... Uh, you can't force them to do things. You, you'd like to force them to do things, but yeah. you can't. Um, and, and that's so hard. Um, you know, it's, the relationship is so hard. Family's so hard uh, because you, there's so much you can't control. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that's, you know, even with the movie, like, okay, I'm going to jump in with you guys. Like, let's just hope that I make my money back, you know, and, but it could be great, you know, and again, based on what we believe and even with this venture cap that we're in, that just started, I just became an advisor um, just to see like, how can we help people who are marginalized, meaning people who have great ideas, great businesses, but because of their social, social situation, they, they can't get even in front of a typical venture cap um, company that will pour money into them. That's so powerful. And so I don't know. I mean, we we just started out. You know, there uh, there hasn't been um, you know a bunch going on yet. Um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how this year turns out. So it's been really, really busy. And of course, I got a whole bunch of other things cooking. You know, in the background that I you know can't share yet. But you know, it's, again, it's just part of trying to steward and manage. You know, and I, I say this like and I t- I learned this a long time ago. You know, we're not managing time. You know, we're managing our calling. Wow. Uh, just yeah, think about like managing time, then yeah. you know, you're gonna get caught up. But you you you're managing your calling. And so again, it's like even those with four kids, like you know, or two kids and six kids, you know, I, I there are people in our church that are having kids, and I'm like, look, I, six kids is not for everybody, you know. It's it's even for us, it, it was really it wasn't it wasn't easy, you know, and it's still not. Um, but you know, again, this is what, what God had allowed for us to do. Uh, it wasn't ever, it wasn't ever my dream to have six kids, you know, at all. Um, but you, you have to steward what, what's given you. 
And, and I think that's, again, it's the same thing, whether it's two, one, six, whether it's one business or 10 businesses, whether it's just being in ministry or not, um, you have to steward your relationships. You know, you, you can't be friends with everybody. Uh, even as a pastor, you know, a lot of people left because they wanted or they don't like the fact that I, you know, have a deeper, I don't have a good, you know, deep relationship with them. And, you know, for years, a decade, I've been telling the church from the pulpit, like, look, don't call me. Don't bother me. Don't even try to set a meeting with me at church because I don't have any time. And, you know, that rubs people the wrong way. But I just told them, like, look, my kids are teenagers right now and, and I have toddlers. Like, I'm going to be busy the next 10 years. And my youngest is 12. That means I only have six more years left. After that, I, I'm, I'll meet with everybody in the church. But, but until then... Oh, I love you. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm just, I'm just, being, awesome. I just going to be honest. That's awesome. I love you know? it. God, I used to, look, I'm just be honest here, right? I used to lie. Like, oh yeah, call the church, set up employment. And then when they would call, I'd tell my assistant, like, no, I'm not meeting with them. You know, like they would call, make an appointment, and I would never meet with them. And I just this, said, this I'm, is like, maybe we should change the title. Confessions of a pastor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. should change the title. I mean, you know, you realize you just got to be straight up and just tell them <laughs> and not worry about whether they're going to leave. If they leave, they leave. But I just told them, like, I, I have to put a priority in my family because 10 years from now, 20 years from now, no one's going to care how many people are at my church, yeah. but I'm going to care what's going on with my kids. And if I'm asked during the time that they need them, who's going to pay for that? Well, I, plus, like, honestly, for everybody listening, if you're in a church, like, setting, like, just to give you clarity, like, Alvin's, like, hyper busy in the business world. Like, church is not his main thing, right? Because, I mean, I think the, some people out there would be like, well, isn't that, like, part of your role? But, you know, I think with your role, your main role is to lead the leaders to do their job, to lead in vision, to build the house. No question. Think, no question. Again, I'm not trying to criticize yeah. or make peak pastors feel bad. I, I have a very unique situation. Yeah. It's very you know, different. Where, you know, I mean, that I, I'm yeah. doing ministry. Um, yeah. Kind of on the side, even though it's the only office I go to during the week, you know, I, I'm, I pre I don't preach every Sunday. Uh, I don't do visitations. I don't, you know, I only meet with leaders and even then it's mostly just my staff. And, and again, look, that that's part of it too. I was able, that's why my, my story is so different. Like it's hard to, you know, I hate it in, in some sense, like it, it's hard to use it as an example because, you know, I was able to, or the Lord basically set up that, you know, the infrastructure, because people ask, how do you do it all? Well, I'm like, I have good infrastructure, you know, that I, and I, that's the key infrastructure. Yeah. And again, you know, all of my pastors, they all take turns preaching. Uh, they they pretty much lead and run the church. You know, high-level decisions, you know, I give my stamp of approval. But but again, you have to work to get that. And you have to you have to deal with their mistakes, too. You know, obviously, if you do it, you, there'll be less mistakes. But they'll never learn. You know, I let them preach because I need them to be better than me. You know, I want the church to be like, oh, Alvin's preaching. Like, I wish it was so-and-so. You know, because... <laughs> You know that that I got I got taught a long time ago. If you're a pastor and you're leading, and when when you start feeling insecure about your leaders, that means you're doing a good job. When you start feeling oh. insecure about how great they are, that means you're doing a great job. It's like your yeah. kids. Yeah, you want 100%. your kids to do better than you. Yeah. you want your kids to have greater success. So a yeah. true father, true leader wants yeah. the people following them to to do better than them. Now look, you you got to put your money where your mouth is too. So you got to pay them like they're not like their children's pastors. You got to pay them like, um, you know, that that's 
consistent with the the place that you live in. I live in DC. It's a very expensive city. So they have to make a lot more than people live, you know, working in middle of Pennsylvania or, or Iowa, you know, I'm, I'm just pointing, you know, yeah, yeah, rural yeah. areas. And the same thing with my companies, you know, I got, I got guys that are running the companies, but you know, they're, they're being paid like they own the company. That's the only way it works. And so, you know, that's, maybe that's why I'm doing multiple things because I'm not, I can't be greedy. I'm not, and I can't be greedy because I have to pay everyone well enough so they can run it. And so otherwise, why would they do that? Yeah. Uh, and give them authority. So it's, yeah. not just, it's not just money, it's power and authority. And so all of those things help create a, you know, a team that makes it work. If you're yeah. a leader and you're mean and you're, you know, micromanaging, it's going to, well, then you're going you're to be stuck. Um, the moment you're able to kind of let that go, you know, you, you're going to deal with some of the mistakes, but you, it also free you to do the things that you are called to do and want to do. For yeah. me, I, I was glad to give up the money and the power and authority. Um, so I didn't have all of it so that I can spend time with my kids. Wow. Um, not not saying I'm going to go back to being a tyrant, you know, when my kids are out of school, but it, it, you know, you have to think about all that to say, you have to think about what you want and what's a value to you. And then you have to make adjustments. And the, I think the hard part is that some people don't, they, they can, but they choose not to. Um, and so, and I get that, yeah. but that, that's just not how I operate um, or how I, I've operated the past 15 years right. uh, with the church. And so that's why I can tell the church, look, don't meet with me. I don't have time. If I choose between my kid and you, I'm going to choose my kid, you know, every day and twice on Sunday. You know, I love you, but, but I, you know, in 10 years, you know, I'm going to be worried about what, what's going on with my kid. And, you know, you might not even be at the church. Yeah. And so that's a harsh thing to say, but, but people get it. But it's still and, goes back to the stewardship thing about like, what's, what God has given you and entrusted you with. And first and foremost, family is priority over everything. So just as we close here, and I love it. You said, you said so many good things, especially in the last like five to seven minutes, so many good things. So just if there are people listening right now that are inspired by your journey, inspired by all the things that you've been able to steward and they want to find the balance. They want to steward well, like they've seen and heard you've steward things well. What would you say to them as sort of like a little bit of an activation, practical, like practical, like leadership stuff that would enable them and help them guide them along this journey of better balancing their leadership out, better stewarding the opportunities in front of them and just like doing it for the long haul. Cause that's, that's the goal running the race for the long haul. What would you say to them real quick in like a minute? Um, uh, again, I, I would try to find, and, and remember it's about timing in, in different periods of life for me, I've had to adjust. Um, and so I, at the, in the current time that you're in, you know, what, what, what are you valuing and what do you, cause you're going to have to give up something. And I think you can give up things that you value a little bit less for something that's greater. And it doesn't mean you'll get, you won't get that back. I think you do get it back, but I think in that season, you have to make a decision in, in the next year or the next 10 years or five years, wherever it may be, I'm going to do this and I'm going to sacrifice this, but it's because I value this other thing more. And so, 
that's hard it, it, it's because you have to give up something seemingly that you may think you may never get back, but that's not true because God's timing is not our timing. He's not worried about you being 35, 45 and not, you know, it's not about that. Uh, don't feel the pressure of having to have certain accomplishments, have certain family life goals by the age of this or age of that, because my friends are all doing this or I'm expected to do that. Um, I try to have healthy expectations and that's, that's with anything, you know, you, you can't have healthy expectations on, and on, on unhealthy people. Uh, you can't have a healthy expectation on an unhealthy situation. And so that has everything to do with timing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really, really, really important because everyone's timing is different. You may listen to my story, Sean's anyone else's, but you yourself have to talk to God, figure out what's going on right now and make the best decision possible. And it's okay if you make a mistake. Um, if your values, you know, are clear. Um, so good. That's so powerful, man. I, I really, I got so much from this. I know that those that are listening are getting so much from this and, uh, I'd encourage those that are listening, like send us, send us your thoughts on this episode, you know, reach out to me on Instagram at Sean Gaby. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know how this has impacted you. But as for this conversation, I just want to thank you, Alvin, so much for your time. It's been so powerful. I know it's like inspired me and uh, just want to encourage all those listening out there. Go try. If you live in the U.S., visit a Whole Foods, try the Go Oats product. If you live in New York, when it reopens, visit what, where how do they find the meadery in uh, New York? Uh, it's called All Wise Meadery. All Wise Meadery. You could order you. Well, you were able to order online prior to the pandemic. Um, but uh, yeah, well, you know, you could just follow us um, on Instagram. We're restarting, um, reshipping things out, re you know, starting production okay. again. So we're and you're also in the southern United States, you said too. Right. So we're, we're in a variety of stores. Again, you get that from the website, all my, allwisemeadery.com. Um, look up Dylan Sprouse. I, I mean, you'll, you'll find it. Okay. Um, and oldest so, supposedly right. oldest alcoholic be beverage out there it's a honey wine if you like wine check it out and i haven't even tried i have no idea what it tastes like never had it yeah, never I, heard I, about it until i met you so me neither i didn't hear about it until <laughs> i never heard about it. here's some money i never heard about me here's some money though for it <laughs> and now it's working hey man thank you so much and thank you to all those that are listening Thank you again for stopping by and listening to another Supernatural Leadership Podcast. My name is Sean Gaby, helping the leader within become a little more supernatural. If this podcast has been an investment into your life and or impacted you in any way, we are incredibly thankful. We would love for you to join us in being able to continue bringing leadership content like this every month. Of course, it does not come without a cost and our heart is to continue bringing you more improved quality and content. If you would like to partner with us with a one-time financial gift or to sign up as a monthly partner, you can do so at kingdomculture.ca. Thank you for listening to the Supernatural Leadership Podcast.